0: I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and I'm an optimist. And if you come along with me on this journey, you're gonna see infrastructure in a whole new way as a tool for building a society that's more equitable, resilient, and sustainable. Good morning, I'm James Holman from the Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, September 10th. In today's news, at least seven are dead including a one-year-old boy in the West Coast wildfires. A top Homeland Security official says he was ordered to stop providing intelligence on Russian interference in our elections. And dozens of Austrians are wondering why they received U.S. stimulus checks. But first, the big idea. President Trump acknowledged on Wednesday that he intentionally downplayed The deadly nature of the rapidly spreading coronavirus last winter, as an attempt to avoid what he said would have been a frenzied panic. It was part of an escalating damage control effort by the White House related to a forthcoming book from The Washington Post's Bob Woodward. Trump's comments came hours after excerpts from the book and audio from some of the 18 separate interviews the president conducted with Woodward were released, feeling a sense of outrage over the president's blunt description of knowing. That he was not telling the truth about a virus that has now killed nearly 190,000 of our fellow Americans. The book reports that in a February 7th interview, Trump revealed to Woodward that he thought the situation was far more dire than what he was saying publicly. Democrats, led by Joe Biden, denounced Trump's actions as part of a deliberate effort to lie to the public for his own political purposes when other world leaders took decisive action to warn their people and set those nations on a better path to handling the pandemic. Biden, in fact, called Trump's actions a, quote, life and death betrayal of the American people. Trump, who regularly flouts those guidelines at White House events and campaign rallies, rejected the criticism that his myths, truths helped create a false sense of security in the public and led to a more widespread transmission of the disease than in other leading nations. Privately, however, the president realized that this book would not be good for his political fortunes. For weeks, he told advisors that Woodward's take was likely to be negative, according to a senior administration official who spoke directly with the president. But the White House did little to prepare. Initially, surrogates received bland talking points that included comments from White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany's Wednesday briefing. In a phone interview with Fox News' Sean Hannity last night, Trump was dismissive of the book and said he's too busy to read it. The president's top political advisors, including campaign manager Bill Stepien, have long viewed the coronavirus as the president's biggest albatross and have argued for Trump to address it more forcefully. Republicans close to Trump say this book, particularly with the damning audio, could be a potent area of attack for Biden's campaign. Internal and public polling consistently show a majority of voters do not agree with the president's handling of the contagion. And in a familiar routine on Capitol Hill, Republicans ducked the latest Trump controversy, uniformly asserting that they had yet to read Woodward's book, which is entitled Rage, and hits bookstores next Tuesday. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, at least seven people, including a one-year-old boy, have died in California, Oregon, and Washington state from these out-of-control fires. This is now the biggest Outbreak of wildfires in the United States since at least 1910, according to the federal government's National Interagency Fire Center in Boise, Idaho. That was the last time they saw this number of large, fast moving fires over such a broad area. The suffocating smoke has elevated air pollution to hazardous levels, even in places that aren't being hit by the fires directly. The U.S. government's pollution data shows large pockets of code red air quality levels in all three of those west coast states according to another database of air quality levels the pollution in parts of western oregon right now is about the worst in the world trailing behind only the worst parts of china and india the forest service has closed all 18 national forests in california in response to the fires this is the first time that's ever happened where they needed to close all of them at the same time These orders cover more than 20 million acres. That's an area 26 times the size of Rhode Island. The sun never even came out in San Francisco on Wednesday. And up in Oregon, the wildfires racing through small towns have scorched hundreds of buildings. Amid dry heat and gusty winds, thousands of firefighters made little headway on Wednesday, trying to contain the scores of fires. And forecasts offered only slight hope that conditions will turn more favorable in coming days. A stiffening overnight wind sweeping from the north and east kicked up new fires and blew new life into simmering ones from the Cascades region in Washington to the Angeles National Forest just east of LA. Those winds are predicted to spike in Southern California during the next few days, creating fresh concern that blazes could drive toward more populated areas. The fires have fed on heat and dry conditions, particularly in California. Were more than two dozen major blazes added Wednesday to the record total acreage burned in the state so far this year. And it cannot be said enough. Typically, fire season doesn't begin in earnest until right about now. More than 42,000 Oregonians have been ordered to evacuate their homes, a frightening disruptive annual routine in California, but a relative novelty for its northern neighbor. Many Oregonians did not know if they had homes To which they could return. Number two, a senior Department of Homeland Security official, Brian Murphy, says he was ordered to stop providing intelligence analysis on the threat posed by ongoing Russian interference in the American election. That official, who until recently was in charge of intelligence and analysis at DHS, says in a 24-page whistleblower complaint that on two occasions he was told to stand down on reporting about the grave Russian threat to American democracy. He alleges that senior Trump officials told him to modify other intelligence reports, including one about white supremacists, to bring them in line with Trump's public comments and tweets. He says he refused these directions and was then demoted into a powerless administrative role. On July 8th, Murphy says in the whistleblower complaint, which is full of documentation, that acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf told him that an intelligence notification regarding Russian disinformation efforts should be held because it was unflattering to Trump. The president has long derided the Kremlin's interference as a hoax that was concocted by his opponents to delegitimize his victory in 2016. Now, these reports that were muzzled aren't even for public consumption. DHS intel reports are routinely shared with FBI agents other federal law enforcement agencies, and state and local governments. Murphy objected to Wolf's instructions, saying it was improper to hold a well-vetted intelligence product to avoid politically embarrassing the president. Murphy alleges in his complaint that the president's political interests were always of greater concern to senior leaders at the department than reporting the facts based on evidence. He claims that Wolf and Ken Cuccinelli, the department's number two in command, on various occasions instructed him to massage the language in intelligence reports related to Antifa and anarchist groups so that they would be consistent with what Trump was saying on Twitter. The House Intelligence Committee has asked Murphy to testify later this month. Meanwhile, Dan Coats, Trump's former director of national intelligence, is publicly criticizing his successor, the current DNI, John Ratcliffe, for suspending in-person briefings to Congress on election security. Coates, a former Republican senator from Indiana, told my colleague, Ellen Nakashima, in an interview that it is imperative that the intelligence community keep Congress fully informed about the serious threats to our elections and share as much information as possible while protecting sources and methods. Number three, we've learned why AstraZeneca paused its vaccine trial, which I told you about yesterday. The major trial is on hold as an independent committee investigates whether a case of spinal inflammation in a single British participant is linked to the experimental vaccine. This is something that several experts say is actually a sign of the protections in place to ensure the safety of products ultimately used in millions of healthy people. NIH Director Francis Collins and other scientists told my colleague Carolyn Johnson that AstraZeneca's decision is evidence that scientists rather than politicians are in the driver's seat. The experts say it's hard to estimate how long this investigation will take, but the pause is not unexpected in trials of this size and scale. Meanwhile, a separate group of scientists questioned whether the early stage trials for the Russian vaccine that they're calling Sputnik V can be considered reliable due to highly unlikely patterns presented in the results. Last week, the medical journal Lancet said the vaccine produced an antibody response and no serious side effects in more than 70 participants during early trials. But a collective of 26 scientists who examined the data point out that multiple test subjects reported exactly identical antibody tests, which is essentially impossible. It's another reminder not to trust anything from Russia. And more than 70 professors at Stanford University's medical school are pushing back today on what they say are falsehoods and misrepresentations of science pushed by their former colleague, Scott Atlas, who has emerged as one of Trump's top medical advisors. Atlas is a neuroradiologist by training. He doesn't have any background in public health, but he's been repeatedly advocating internally at the White House for a controversial herd immunity strategy that approach, which essentially already began to take root in the Trump administration's testing strategy, would result in a significant increase in preventable cases, including suffering and deaths, especially among vulnerable populations, according to the more than 70 doctors at Stanford. And White House sources tell us that they're looking closely at more executive actions that Trump might take as relief talks on Capitol Hill appear to have faltered, White House officials have been discussing efforts to unilaterally provide support for the flagging airline industry, while also bolstering unemployment benefits. The White House has also discussed moving without Congress to direct more money for school vouchers and changing Trump's recent payroll tax changes to make it more effective. Typically, such actions would require congressional approval. Asked yesterday whether a bipartisan deal is possible before the election, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said he's not sure. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was similarly noncommittal. Finally, get this. Dozens of Austrians have received US stimulus checks in the mail with Trump's signature on them. Some of the checks puzzled people who were getting them unexpectedly they were ineligible for the payouts. One of the people who received such an erroneous check, a pensioner named Manfred Barnreiter, who's 73, said he thought that the check was part of a sophisticated fraud scheme. He and his wife each received $1,200, although neither is a U.S. resident or holds U.S. citizenship, two key eligibility requirements. He briefly worked in the United States in the 1960s and still receives a very small pension, which may have gotten him in some kind of federal database. But several Austrian banks confirmed yesterday to my colleague Rick Nowak that they've received queries from several confused customers in recent weeks about these checks from the American government. The IRS would not respond on the record to our request for comment. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, September 10th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. to the Optimistic Outlook podcast at siemens.com slash optimist.